Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. I'm Abhi Rajendran. Uh, I head up our oil markets research uh, and I'm part of the research advisory team. Um, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my esteemed colleagues, uh, Amena Bakker, who is our chief OPEC correspondent and deputy bureau chief in Dubai, uh, as well as Colby Connolly, uh, who is a senior analyst uh, in our research and advisory team um, and one of our key Middle East experts as well. Uh, Colby, uh, Amena, welcome. Hi, Abby. Hi, Abby. Great to be talking to you guys again. Thank you both for joining. So we are going to be focused on uh, oil markets for for this edition of the podcast series. And there's been a lot going on in the oil markets uh, for, for, for many, many months now. Um, but, but certainly things have accelerated uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, it's been a pretty hectic and, and, and busy start to the year. Uh, we have seen a combination of fundamental support uh, you know, financial market uh, support and momentum behind the oil market, in particular with with a broader inflation theme, um, and when we've also seen certainly a, a very quick ratcheting up of geopolitical tensions uh, in, in in various different regions in various different ways, uh, also contributing to the run up in prices. Our kind of base case for 2022, uh, as we exited last year, uh, was for pretty bullish backdrop and a run-up in prices, but that that was a dynamic that we didn't expect to see until the summer. Um, certainly, things have sped up in terms of the, you know, the market momentum faster than we had expected. Uh, we expected that the market would be, you know, somewhere in the, you know, low 80s to start the year. Uh, and, 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 and we did expect to see prices north of $90, uh, you know, leading into the summer and, and spend a good chunk of the summer above that. Um, but again, a combination of, I think, better than expected fundamentals to start the year um, and geopolitics in particular have, uh, have really uh, sort of accelerated that dynamic. Uh, you know, we were, you know, just a few dollars away from $100. Uh, we've been at that threshold for the last week. Um, you know, certainly there is a lot of, of, of kind of daily headlines to watch these days. And, and we're here to sort of unpack um, all of that. I think probably the 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 best place to start is um, you know is on the supply side and the of all the different things that have been whipping around in the market, uh, whether it was COVID with the Omicron variant um, or geopolitics uh, and, and and within that certainly the Russia Ukraine situation uh, and the ongoing you know Iran negotiations, one source of you know, fairly steady uh, uh, dynamics has been uh, within OPEC Plus that despite all this turbulence over the last several months, they've been fairly steady in their monthly plan and and sticking to their supply addition. So maybe that's a good place to start, Amena. Maybe I could bring you in just to sort of highlight where OPEC Plus currently stands, how they view the market in terms of, you know, fundamentals versus where the price actually is in the low to mid 90s. Uh, and what we can expect from them over the short term. Hi, Abby. Um, yeah, you said that OPEC is sticking to their plan of uh, these gradual increments of uh, 400,000 barrels a day. And um, at times of volatility and great uncertainty, we've seen the group stick to a plan that is predictable. They don't want to add uh, additional uh, uncertainties to the market. And that's partly why they're sticking to the plan. Uh, another part of that is because there's limited spare capacity and there are limited options to what they could do. 
So for now, they they've decided that uh, it's it's better to to stick to their original plan and uh, just wait and see uh, how how the market reacts. They believe that um, their their the fundamental factors are um, are, are limited um, in in terms of how the market is reacting, meaning that geopolitics is mainly taking over uh, uh, the the prices and, and where they're going, and they feel like the market is going to correct itself over time. Um, and on the supply side, uh, they don't see a need uh, to, to add additional barrels. Uh, and if they do end up doing that, they think that uh, people are going to look at the spare capacity, the, the fast eroding spare capacity, and prices would, uh, would, would rise even higher. So their hands are tied. They're just waiting for the market to correct itself and uh, uh, keeping up a, a predictable policy in place. Yeah, thanks. That, that's really interesting. And, you know, on, on, on our uh, estimates, you know, we believe that in a low to mid 90s price for, for Brent, uh, that the market is sort of pricing in somewhere between a five to eight dollar premium uh, for all the geopolitical uh, tensions and events that are going on. Um, and, and so certainly that would uh, that would jibe with uh, with what OPEC plus uh, is view is. Uh, but interestingly, if you took away that premium, um, you know, even that would put the oil price roughly in the mid 80s, uh, where we think fundamentals and, and, and low inventory levels justify the price. Now, what's interesting is, you know, that may, you know, you may view that that price level as a price that that might be a little bit on the high side, uh, given, you know, kind of OPEC plus's, you know, recent, uh, you know, price sensitivities and thresholds. But they seem to be fairly confident in in holding things together, even you know, even in the in the eighties. Uh, Amanda, maybe I can bring you back in to just to sort of talk about, uh, in particular, in the past we've seen Russia, um, uh, the UAE, perhaps uh, prefer to keep prices range bound at a slightly lower threshold. Uh, what's what's behind their thinking now? Uh, well, for Russia, I believe that there are political factors behind uh, their acceptance of a higher price range. Uh, we all know the tensions that are going on in between Russia and Ukraine. Um, and uh, I, I believe that Russia wants to put pressure on on the West, in particular the U.S., uh, through these high prices. So perhaps their reasoning behind accepting a higher price is more uh, politically driven than, than anything else. Uh, for the other countries, I mean, they've suffered a lot when oil prices were um, were down during the pandemic. So it's a time for them to, to recover. Their economies, of course, are doing much better uh, with these uh, higher prices. And they know that it's not going to last for a long time. So uh, for the time being, they're, they're they're happy of where where things are at. Certainly, and and I think one of the the comments that we've heard within the OPEC Plus group is about even just within kind of the the oil and gas uh, side of their 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 industries and economies that high prices help to uh, improve investment levels um, and 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 recover you know even kind of their domestic capacities and I think that's certainly something that uh, that that the current price environment uh, supports as well. Uh, I think one of the uh, other key dynamics that we've been watching for a while, and, and certainly it's been in slow motion for for, for, for many many months now. Really, the last six months, um, which is which is also I'm sure on OPEC Plus's radar, but but something that they're feeling a little bit more comfortable with uh, is is the situation with the Iran nuclear negotiations. So, Colby, maybe I can bring you in on that. You know, where do things stand? Uh, you know, really, we're we're looking at a crunch month here. Um, what can we expect to pan out? And, and also, maybe you can just sort of touch on the implications for oil supply 
uh, as we get through the year? Should there be a deal uh, or should things uh, you know, fall apart in the negotiations? Sure. Thanks, Avi. Uh, so listening to some of the remarks from, from diplomats that have been engaged in the talks in Vienna um, late last week and, and indeed just today, uh, it, it seems to suggest that we could potentially know as soon as this week or next what the end result is going to be. Um, Iranian diplomats and, and their Russian counterparts definitely seemed like they were the biggest optimists uh, during this process in the past, but uh, E3 officials, the, those being UK, France, and Germany, uh, are, are beginning to sound a little more optimistic. Um, you know, but that, I mean, to a degree, that's been the trouble with, with trying to project an outcome in this process. Uh, I mean, Avi, you and I have been discussing this on a, a weekly basis since before uh, Raisi was in office. And, and so while it does feel like um, we're in a different phase this time, we've, we've only got a handful of concrete developments to really go on. Uh, so, so what's different now? Okay, one piece of news actually that just came out this morning uh, was uh, Saeed Khatib Zadeh from the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Iran saying that a, a prisoner swap between the U.S. and Iran um, is under discussion. It's separate from the JCPOA talks, but the reason that's relevant is that um, some people may remember a couple of weeks ago, Rob Malley uh, sort of linked the, the JCPOA status to a potential release of, of U.S. prisoners in Iran. Um, and, and Tehran kind of bemoaned that at the time, but, but it is being discussed now. Um, so that, that certainly seems to be a positive sign. Um, progress on that, on that issue itself is, is another matter, but the discussion is taking place. Um, you know, additionally, it came out, uh, I think, yesterday that, that Iran's draft budget was amended to uh, increase projected oil revenue by around 30%. Um, certainly something that, that could be interpreted as a, a signal that uh, a, a deal is anticipated. Um, that said, Iran is, has been openly stating that it wants to raise exports and, and production for a while now. So it, in that sense, it's it's not necessarily a new development, um, but but certainly some interesting timing there. Um, the, 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 the narrative that seems to be coming out now is that, that each country's got political decisions to make and, and that seems to be sort of a mantra that gets used again and again. Um, what we're likely, likely looking at is a, a more fleshed out vision of, of what coming back into compliance will, will look like for, for both the U.S. and Iran. Um, on Iran that you know, is going to relate primarily to its, its nuclear program um, and, and for the U.S., you know, what, what does sanctions relief on, on oil exports and, uh, and Iran's central bank uh, look like? Um, and you know we've we've tried um, you know during the course of 2021 to um, have a couple of, of different you know production scenarios in our outlook that that try to account for a, a range of potential outcomes other than than just deal or no deal, um, and and so we we don't really expect um, too many issues with with Iran raising production, um, you know with them getting closer to their maximum capacity. Um, that would probably translate to around a million to 1.3 million barrels a day in exports, um, which also doesn't account for what they've got in floating storage. And, and there are various estimates of that. Last one I saw, I think, was around 60 million barrels. Um, but a lot of this, you know, is is it's dependent on Iran's ability to raise production, but but also what implementation of a deal is is ultimately going to look like. Um, and again, that, that's going to depend heavily on what I mentioned before with, with verification of sanctions relief, uh, verification of Iranian compliance, um, you know, a, a breakthrough, which is sort of our high case that, that 
you know, sees production increasing um, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 300,000 barrels a day each month um, with, with Iran reaching that, that 3.8 million barrel a day mark, um, probably around August or September. Um, you know, sort of a, a more of a base case is a slow going scenario. Um, and that, that assumes either a difficulty or, or delay with implementation um, or, or alternately just a more phased implementation of the deal. Um, and and it, at this point, it seems like that you know, may more likely be the direction that we're headed in. Um, that, that's going to depend on how much of the original agreement is, is you know, still ends up in, in a final deal. Um, but, you know, even though we're at a point where things are, you know, seem like they, they justify some greater optimism, there's, there's still a no deal scenario in there. Uh, and, and in that scenario, there's debate as to how much of an impact more sanctions enforcement will actually have on production. Um, you know, exports are, are certainly hard to assess. And, um, you know, it, it, it's important to acknowledge that exports have continued in, in some significant degree for as long as sanctions have been in place. Um, so it, there, there's questions as to how much more Iranian oil could really be taken off the, the market, so to speak. Um, but, you know, certainly have to consider that, that it doesn't pan out at this point as well, even if that's, even if that's a less likely outcome. Yeah, that's definitely going to be something interesting to watch. Um, and, and, and for a market right now that, that is tight, that is sort of thirsty for barrels, um, you know, taking away more barrels would be, uh, you know, certainly a challenge, um, uh, you know, for a market that that's really looking for, you know, any and all kind of incremental supply to prevent, uh, an overheating. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, some of these variables around Russia, Ukraine, and and and, and Iran will be critical um, to determine the, the the path forward for for prices over the over the near term. On our view, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we we saw you know kind of five to seven eight dollars of geopolitical risk premium priced in, but but certainly in an escalation in a conflict type scenario, uh, that could be you know twenty thirty dollars higher, um, especially if you know exports uh, from Russia. Uh, to Europe in particular, uh, start to get whittled away. Um, that could be uh, uh, an extremely tense scenario. Um, but but specific to Iran, I mean, our view is, you know, our base case expectation is sort of a sort of a for a mid '80s price. Uh, once you get past the summer, kind of towards the latter part of the year, uh, a mid '80s uh, Brent price uh, forecast, um, and that largely bakes in, Colby, uh, uh, as you mentioned, at least a million barrels a day of or around a million barrels a day of incremental Iranian supply uh, into that. So uh, if that does not materialize, if that doesn't quite pan out, uh, you know, certainly we'd be looking at quite a bit of upside uh, to that, uh, especially if, you know, if, if, if the U.S. administration looks to to take barrels off the market. Um, Amanda, maybe I can bring you back in here, uh, you know, specific to, you know, sort of Iran in particular. Um, how is the, the OPEC Plus block uh, kind of thinking about, uh, adding supply over the course of the rest of the year, are they still comfortable, uh, you know, with their supply addition plan, uh, even with uh, the prospects of Iranian barrels being added back? Um, how are they thinking about, you know, let's say, kind of the next six to twelve months, um, you know, from a supply and 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 kind of market uh, balancing standpoint? 
Um, for the time being, Abby, we're not hearing any discussions uh, amongst the OPEC plus group about Iran or how Iran is going to come back to the market, how much they're going to bring back to the market, etc. Um, however, earlier, I mean, uh, the, the, the discussions that were going on behind closed doors is that maybe Iran will need to have a quota. And there needs to be some kind of control over Iran's uh, bringing back of production into the market. Um, but e the Iranian officials, uh, I mean, that they, they clearly said that they won't accept any quota and it's the country's right to bring back uh, production. Um, so they're uh, having a quota for Iran at this point is, uh, is something that won't be accepted. Um, so I, I don't see, I mean, given how uncertain a deal could be concluded uh, with Iran and the U.S., uh, OPEC, the OPEC plus group doesn't want to bring this discussion onto the table. It's just going to create tension for, for no good reasons. And besides that, I mean, as, as we've said, um, supply is needed in the market. We're not in a situation where uh, you have so much supply and I the Iran could probably ruin the uh, uh, market balance uh, through uh, uh, by adding uh, the extra barrels, it's it's quite the contrary. So um, if they do add barrels this year, uh, I, I don't think uh, it's it's going to be much of a, a problem. Of course, the OPEC plus group, especially some of the members in the OPEC plus group, would like a little bit of control on how these barrels come back, but um, that that's going to be a, a challenge for them. But for the rest of the year, uh, we know that there was an agreement to review the baselines for five countries, which are Saudi Arabia, UAE, Kuwait, uh, Iraq, and Russia. And that's going to take effect. Uh, that's going to happen in April. They're going to agree on the mechanism uh, in April, and then it's going to take effect in May. Um, however, out of those five countries, I would say maybe two, three have a little bit of spare capacity to, to add, which is going to make a difference to uh, the 400,000 barrel increments, meaning that we're probably going to see more of that increment being added. Uh, because as you know, Abby, uh, over the past months, we've seen lower volumes of the 400,000 barrel a day increment being added because a lot of countries can't meet their quotas for technical reasons, political reasons, whatever it is. OPEC hasn't been adding those 400,000 barrels to the market. But with this adjustment coming up, we might see more supply being added to the market. It's minimal, but it's, uh, it's better than nothing. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. And, you know, as of January on our numbers, OPEC Plus was nearly a million barrels a day sort of behind their, their supply addition plans, which interestingly is, is, is roughly equivalent to what could be added from, from Iran. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, Amena, you mentioned a couple of the, you know, kind of the other hotspots that, that, that OPEC Plus is, is kind of contending with um, and, and, and then also watching. Colby, maybe just to wrap up the discussion, you could touch on, uh, you know, it's not just Russia, Ukraine and, and Iran. Those are maybe the most newsworthy uh, hotspots, but the, but there are others that we're watching as well uh, in Libya and other places. Uh, maybe you could quickly touch on those because uh, certainly those are uh, kind of you know peripheral oil market variables that we can't forget either. Sure, yeah, Li Libya is certainly a big one. Um, you know, when when the the blockade on exports um, that was was imposed internally had been lifted last year, um, you know, production had gotten back up to around 1.2 million barrels a day, and and actually recently was approaching closer to 1.3. Um, you know, there, there were elections that were supposed to be held um, at the end of, of 2021 
um, that that ostensibly would have pushed uh, more towards you know the establishment of of a, a central more unified government in Libya after institutions have been uh, really effectively divided between eastern and western governments for for some time now. Um, but but that process now appears to be backsliding um, after the elections were were postponed uh, without a definite date for. Um, for a restart, and and the consequence of that is is likely more instability in the country. Um, you know, with with a security environment that uh, is sort of all over the place, um, and and we've already seen the effects of this uh, with with force majeures last month from from several fields in the in the country's western region. Um, those were shut down by by members of the Petroleum Facilities Guard, which are actually supposed to be protecting those installations. Um, but you know, the, those shutdowns brought produ- production. Uh, below 800,000 barrels a day very suddenly. And, and this kind of thing is, uh, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to, to predict exactly when it's going to happen. And, and as I mentioned, it, it can take place very quickly. Um, you know, so more of that is, is likely to come in Libya the longer this, this persists. Um, you know, the, um, the conditions to allow this to, to keep happening are, are still there with, without much of an end in sight. Um, in addition to the fact that, that, you know, this, this volatile security environment has really prevented a lot of investment from going into Libya. Um, you know, Waha Oil, which is one of NOC's subsidiaries, um, had to, to cut production around by around 100,000 barrels a day due to the uh, uh, lack of, of storage at uh, the Aceda the export terminal. Um, and, and this kind of thing is, is probably going to be a recurring phenomenon uh, as, as long as, you know, Libya still has this political situation. Thanks a lot, Colby. Yeah, it's certainly uh, a lot to watch, and it's a market that is already on edge on supply. So, so these will be all factors that will uh, be impacting oil prices uh, for the rest of this year, uh, for sure. Um, that's about all the time we have. Uh, Amena, Colby, thank you both for uh, joining today and, and sharing your insights and your uh, and your thoughts. Um, just wanted to uh, wrap up here. Uh, to say thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion uh, and we hope you'll come back for our next Energy Intelligence Podcast um, and you can certainly reach out to us with any questions in the meantime. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.